Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Oh, 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 oh. Grace. Oh. What, dear? Grace. Grace. She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. 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 All right. Well, we are going to be talking about prayer today, if you haven't figured that out yet. How many of you guys have already seen Christmas Vacation this year? You've already seen it. Raise your hand. Don't be shy, you heathens, okay? All right. Well, we watched it Friday night. Not Christmas till you watch that. Uh, let me ask you this question. How many of you, as we're thinking about prayer, how many of you would agree that prayer is one of the most important parts of our Christian life? Say yes. yes. Yeah. USA Today just recently did a poll asking people how important is prayer, and eight out of ten Americans believe in the power of prayer. But, but how many of you have ever struggled to pray, like how to pray or what to pray for? It would Be honest, raise your hand. I think most of us, at times, we struggle like, how do I pray, what do I pray for, what do I say? Well, the good news today as we get into Ephesians is Paul was someone who knew how to pray, and he's going to help us today know how to pray, what to pray for. So if you haven't already, take out your Bibles, your mobile devices, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 14 today as we continue our verse-by-verse -verse study through this book. Uh, we're doing a series called Who Do You Think You Are? through the book of Ephesians. And we're learning about our identity in Christ, who we are in Jesus Christ. So far we've learned I am blessed, I am appreciated, I am saved, I am reconciled, I am known. And today we're going to learn I am heard. That when we pray and we ask requests of God, that God answers. Do you believe that, church? He, he believes us. He, he hears us. And Paul here in Ephesians 3 is praying for this church in Ephesus, a church he started uh, 10 years before he wrote this letter. And he's, he's telling them how he's praying for them. And in this prayer today, we can learn how to better pray and, and what to pray for. And so if you look at your notes there on the back of your newsletter, uh, I'm going to do an acrostic. If you look down, it spells out prayer. And so each of our points is going to be out of the letters of prayer. Starting with uh, the first one, which is P, prayer is personal. Paul teaches us today that prayer is personal. Look at verse 14. The first thing Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees. Paul says, this is something I do. It's very personal. You know, there's a lot of different postures of prayer that you find in the Bible. You see people sitting, you see people standing, you see people lying down. Uh, one of the most uncommon is to see people on their knees. Um, you do see it every once in a while. Paul is certainly making reference to that here. I'm bowing on my knees. And I think sometimes it's good when we pray to actually get down on our knees when we pray. Maybe it's beside our bed. You know, maybe it's just uh, on the floor there in our room somewhere. Because when we get down on our knees in that posture of prayer of bowing, it's a sign of surrender. I mean, it's a universal sign of surrender. If somebody's getting arrested, they say what? Get down on your knees. And, and you know, they're raising their hands on their knees. They're, they're, they're bowing in, in surrender, in submission. 
And so when you get on your knees and pray, it's a sign of surrender and submission of our will to God as we're coming to Him in prayer. And there's lots of different ways that we can pray besides just our posture. We can pray silently uh, from our heart to God. We can pray out loud. We can pray alone. We can pray in a group. Uh, we can even pray by, by journaling. I don't know how many of you guys, how many of you, you journal? You journal? That's a great way to pray. We're well, actually writing out your prayers and, and to God. You know, God sees that. He knows your heart. It doesn't always have to be verbal. Um, another way to pray that you might not have thought about is singing. Singing is a form of prayer. You're just talking to God and you're singing songs to God. Uh, that's a way of communicating with God. We already did that this morning. Some of you, maybe you do that, you know, as you're listening to Caleb or something, you know, Way FM. You're listening to worship songs on your way to work, driving around. I know when our daughter, Caitlin, when she was really little, she loved to make up songs. And she'd make up all these songs for God. And she'd go throughout the house and she'd be singing these songs. And it was her way to communicate with God. But when we think about the posture of prayer, it's not the posture of prayer that we should get so focused on as it is the person of prayer. And that it's personal. It's our time to talk with God when we pray and he hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. Do you believe that God answers all your prayers? Say yes. Yeah. He just doesn't always answer the way we like. Sometimes we pray for something and God doesn't seem to be answering and his answer is what? Help me church. No. It's no. And sometimes it's yes. And sometimes, I've noticed God does this a lot in my life. I'll be praying for something and God doesn't say no or yes, but he says not yet. You need to wait. You need to be patient. I've got something bigger. I've got something better. You, you need to trust me. You know, and then there's this debate when it comes to prayer. You know, when we pray and we ask God, do we, do we change God? Do we change his mind to get what we want? Or does prayer change us? I, I think the purpose of prayer more than anything is not so much to change God, but that prayer changes us. You see, the object of prayer is not to bend the will of God to mine, but to bend my will to God's when I pray. Trusting Him, submitting to Him, surrendering to Him. I mean, have you ever prayed hoping that God would give you what you wanted, but instead He changed what you wanted? He changed your desires, He, he changed your thoughts, He, he, he changed your will to, to His will. And one of the things that's very personal and practical about prayer, maybe you haven't thought of it this way, but prayer is like a lightning rod in our life. You know, they put lightning rods on top of big buildings so that the lightning will hit that rod and there's a wire that goes down a ground wire into the ground and so it grounds the lightning and sends it to the ground because if lightning hits something that's not grounded, what happens? Things blow up. Well, when we pray and we get in tune with God, it grounds us in our life. It settles us, it calms us, it brings a, a peace that passes all understanding so that when things happen in our life and we bring them to God, it grounds us and so we, we don't blow up on other people. When we're praying and we're in tune and touch with God, we don't blow up so much on our spouse. We don't blow up on our kids, we don't blow up on our neighbors and friends because we're grounded through prayer. It's very personal. Prayer is not only personal, but letter R is relational. Prayer is relational. Look at what Paul goes on to say. For this reason I bow my knees to who? To the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The whole Who's the whole family? We are. The church. We've been talking about that in the book of Ephesians. Jews and Gentiles have become one body, one family. And he says, I I'm bowing my knee to the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You know, we are representing the family of God as brothers and sisters in Christ that have accepted Jesus. But there's a lot of our family that's already in heaven, right? And one day there's going to be a great reunion in heaven with the family of God. 
those of us and those who have gone on before us. But prayer is very relational here, and it involves two relationships. It involves a family, Paul says, and it involves a father. And the family is the church. We are the family. You see, I think Paul's trying to make a point throughout the book of Ephesians about the church as a family. Because there's this danger that I especially see today in the U.S. when it comes to the church. A lot of people today don't see the church as a family. They see the church as an organization instead of an organism. They, they see the church as a business instead of a family. And if we come to church like it's a business instead of a family, then we will become customers and consumers instead of family members. We'll, we'll become critics and complainers instead of, we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're in this together. We love one another. It's very relational. We're praying for one another. Now, there's certainly a business side to the church, just like in your family. There's income and there's expenses. But God doesn't want us to think of the church like a business or an organization. He wants us to see the church as a family. Amen? As the family of God. I mean, how many of you, and when you pray, do you pray for our local businesses? I mean, do you pray for your grocery store? You know, we recently got a King Supers here in our area. Yay! Finally got a grocery store. Since the King Supers opened, have you been, have you been praying for them? Oh, Father, I just want to pray for the fruits and the vegetables down there at King Supers, that the fruits will be fruity and the vegetables will be veggie. And, and I just want to pray, dear Lord, for the workers there at King Supers as, as they prepare those foods for us. I just pray that the staff there would love each other and have a great relationship and they would fulfill their mission of giving us tasty foods and snacks. Do any of y'all do that? I mean, I, no, why, why don't you do that? Because you don't really have a relationship with them. It's just a business. It's just a business where you go in as a consumer and you go in as a customer. Paul wants us to see the church as a family, not as a business. And, and when you see the church as a family, you pray for family. Amen? You, you pray for people you love. You pray for people you care about. You pray for people that you have a relationship with. Prayer should be relational. You see, if you pray for the church, then you'll see the church as a family. It'll be relational. If you don't pray for the church, you'll see the church as a business and you'll become a consumer and a critic. I'll give you some things at the end of this message to pray specifically for, for our church. And I'll give you those at the end because I hope you'll be praying for our church, our church family. And every family should have a father. And Paul says here, we're praying for the family and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the son and his father is God, and we, we pray to the Father. Now, I don't have time to completely unpack this, but biblically, the, the entire Trinity, God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, is involved in our prayers. We pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us. If that makes sense, say yes. Uh, you see that. The Trinity is all involved in Scripture. And here's the most important thing that I could tell you and practical thing about prayer that I want you guys to get. Here is the key that you need to know about prayer. That God is your father. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God is your heavenly father. He's your daddy. That is the key to understanding prayer. It's the key to viewing prayer in the right way. If you see God as your heavenly father, prayer will be very natural. Um, it'll be easy. It'll make sense to you. If you don't see God as your father, prayer will be unnatural, it will be a challenge, it will be difficult, you won't really fully understand it. It's so key that we see God as our father and we as his children, part of the same family. 
Uh, I've had the privilege to disciple several men here in our church, and God, God keeps giving me these men who have come from very religious upbringings. And when I say religious upbringings, they, they've been a part of churches where they, the way they taught them to pray was, say this prayer this way every time. Very memorized, wrote, you know, prayers. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? And so now they're trying to learn to pray in a more natural way. Pray to their heavenly father, their daddy who wants to hear from them. He doesn't want to hear this set of memorized, pat things. He wants it to come from their heart. And, and sometimes when, when they'll get done praying, they'll say, did I do it right? And I will say, well, was it from your heart? Yes, then you did it right, amen? Because our daddy, our father wants to hear from us. It's so important that we see God as our heavenly father, that we're just talking to our daddy. I think this has helped me in my own personal relationship with God more than anything else when I became a daddy. When, when I was blessed with two children, when I became a father, that has helped me so much in understanding my relationship with my heavenly father. Because I know how much I love my kids and God, my Heavenly Father, loves me even more than I love my kids. I know how committed I am to my kids, and I'll do anything for them. And God feels infinitely more toward me than I even do my kids. I know how I want to be there for my kids. I want to I hear from my kids. I want to spend time with my kids. I want to have a relationship with my kids. And our Heavenly Father feels the same way and infinitely more about us. Amen? And so when we see God as our Heavenly Father, it changes the way we approach Him in prayer. We're just talking to our dad. We're talking to our Heavenly Father. I remember when, and this doesn't happen much anymore because my kids are teenagers now, 18 and 16, but I remember when my kids were little and I would come home from work and I'd open the door and they'd come run. They'd drop whatever they were doing. They'd come run and bam, bam, one on one leg, one on the other, you know? I'm walking around the house like this and they're, Daddy, 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 Daddy's home. They just wanted to be with Dad. They just wanted to talk to Dad. They wanted to tell me about their day and they're all excited about me being home. Those of you parents that have kids at that age right now, you better cherish that. It doesn't last forever. Enjoy, amen, parents? Enjoy it. Take that in right now. But I, rem I, I never remember a time, though, coming home where Caleb and Caitlin came running up to me and they stopped right before me and said, Oh, Father, could we please talk us to you for a moment? We have some thoughts we would like to share with you. We've, we've prepared a speech. You know, ne never did they do that. They just came up and started talking to Dad. Th that's how our Heavenly Father wants us to be. Just be real with Him. Be relational with him. Share your thoughts. Share your struggles. He can handle it. He's your daddy. He loves you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to spend time with him. Now, I know when I talk about this, for those of you that had a great dad, how many of you have had a great dad growing up? You had a great dad. Man, thank God for that. Because that dad, whether he realized it or not, was modeling your heavenly father for you. But for those of you that didn't have a great dad, you didn't have a great father, you didn't have a good relationship with him, or maybe he wasn't even around at all, this is challenging. And I know that. I've counseled many people, and there's a direct correlation so many times with people's earthly fathers and people's view of their heavenly father. They got the same name, they got the same title. And I'm sorry for those of you that didn't have that model for you. You know, we're living in an unprecedented time in the nation that we live in here in the United States where tonight 40% of children will go to bed without a father in the home. 40%. But here's some great news. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen to this. This is some great news. This is your identity. You have a great daddy. Amen? You have got a great... Yeah, we can praise God for that. Somebody wanted to do it? Let's do it. You have got a great daddy. You have got a great father. 
that is absolutely madly in love with you. And he wants to spend time with you. He wants you to spend time with him. He wants to hear from you. He cares about you. View your prayer and your relationship with him in that way. A great verse for those pe- people that maybe you didn't have a mom or a dad is Psalm 2710. Man, you need to memorize this verse. It says, when my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. Our heavenly father. And you know what this also tells us? Those of us who are daddies, those of us who are fathers, we have a huge responsibility to model the unconditional love and commitment of our Heavenly Father to our kids. We may not realize it, but we are modeling what God is like to our kids. Are we loving our kids like, like God? Are we committed to our kids like God? Are, are we relational with our kids like God is? Because they're picking up on that. And we can help them or we can hurt them with that. Let's covenant together as a church family to be godly fathers that model our Heavenly Father for our kids. Amen? Because... Prayer is relational. Prayer is personal. Prayer is relational. And then letter A, prayer is about asking. It's about asking. It's making a request. Look at verse 16. Paul says, I'm praying that he, God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the, what's the next word, church? Inner man. You know, we usually pray for the outer man. We usually pray for circumstances and things on the outside. But Paul is asking for prayer for the church in Ephesus. And he's not praying about the outward things. He's praying about the inward things. Praying for the, that God would do something on the inside of the church. And he says, and here's what he's praying specifically, verse 17. How's God going to work on the inside? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's his request. Paul is asking that the power of the Holy, Holy Spirit would work in and through the believers, the church in Ephesus. And he says it this way in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. How many of you growing up, you heard this phrase, have you asked Jesus into your heart? Have you asked Jesus into your heart? Have you guys heard that phrase? Okay. That's not really a biblical phrase. This is the only place in the Bible we see any reference to Christ in our heart. But even here, Paul is not praying that Jesus would come into their heart. Because who is he writing to? The church in Ephesus. If it's a church, that means these people are what? They're saved. They're believers. You see, it's not Jesus that comes into our heart. It's the Spirit of God. Amen? Paul said that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that comes into our heart. But here he's not praying that Jesus would come into their heart or even that the Spirit would come into their heart. He says, I'm praying that Christ might dwell, his Spirit might dwell in your hearts through faith. So what is he asking for here? This word dwell is where we get the word dwelling, a dwelling place. It has the idea of a home. It's like a home. You see, how many would agree? There's a big difference between checking into a hotel and moving into a home. Big difference. I mean, you check in and out of a hotel. I mean, when was the last time that you checked into a hotel and you said, honey, get, get a piece of paper out. We need to make some adjustments around here. We need to change the draperies. We need to change the blinds. We need to get some colors on these walls, you know, and there's a stain on the carpet. We need some new towels in the bathroom, you know. We need to get a different TV. Let's make a list and run down to Home Depot and Best Buy and let's fix this place up. You don't do that in a hotel, Because you're not planning to stay there very long. You're just checking in, you're checking out. Now let me ask this. This is kind of off topic a little bit. But how many of you guys, when you check into a hotel, you actually take all of your clothes out of your suitcase and you put them in the drawers? How many of you guys do that? Okay, a few weird people. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'll be there like a week and I'll still leave it in the suitcase. And my wife's like, why don't you put those things in the drawers? I'm like, we're leaving tomorrow. 
what's the point, you know? And I just pile it up all around everywhere, you know? Because I'm not planning to stay there. But when you buy or even if you rent for a while a home, what do you do? When you buy a home, just get re- you have just entered into continual perpetual home improvement projects. And it never ends. When you buy a home, I mean, you start painting the walls and doing the carpet and fixing the blinds and putting things, putting pictures up and all of that because you're going to dwell there. You're going to live there. It's your dwelling place. It's your, your home. It's a, it's a continual home improvement project from now until Jesus comes. Amen, homeowners? You know what I'm talking about? We've lived in our house now seven years. And every time I think... I have finished the last home improvement project. Shelly has a new one for me. Every single time. I think this is it. It's per- Our house is perfect now. I asked her just the other day. I said, honey, I don't know what to get you for Christmas this year. I'm really struggling. I want to surprise you, but I, I don't want you to you know, have to take it back. What do you want for Christmas? She goes, you know what I would like? And I was like, yeah, what? And I'm like, I'm ready to write down. She goes, I'd like to just redo our bedroom. Just redo. I'm like, What? Didn't we just do that? She's like, yeah, like five years ago. I'm like, yeah, it still looks good. I'm like, can't, we get just buy, can't I just go buy something I wrap and put it under the tree? But no, it's a home. And there's this continual home improvement project. You see the point? J- Jesus doesn't want to, to put his spirit into our life where he just checks in and checks out and checks in on us every once in a while and checks out and we go on with life. He wants to move in. To our life he wants to put his spirit and when he does guess what it's a continual ongoing home improvement project in our life that never ends until Jesus comes have you ever noticed like you, you'll have an area of your life that Jesus is working on you'll finally get that straightened out and you think okay cool I, I I'm doing I'm a good Christian now I got everything straight and then Jesus is like okay now let's work on this over here oh I thought we were done we're never done he wants to dwell. Paul is asking that, that Christ would dwell in our hearts, that he would be at home in our hearts, and he would be able to continually work on us. It's a growth process the rest of our life. And, and I challenge you, will, will you make that kind of prayer and that ask of God, that kind of request, that he would do something in your inner man? Will you ask and allow Jesus to dwell in your heart and your life and continually work in areas of your life that need improvement? Is your relationship with Jesus like a hotel? Or a home. He he wants it to be a home. So prayer is personal. Prayer is relational. Prayer is about asking. And then prayer is about yearning. Having a yearning for God. Look at the second part of verse 17. Paul says that you being rooted and grounded in what, church? Love. Everybody say love. How many of you know that roots are important? They need to be deep. What are we to be rooted in and grounded in? Love. He goes on with that theme about love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, the believers, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. That's pretty exhaustive. The height and the width and the length and the depth of what? To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The, The root system of the Christian life is love. It's all about love. Love for God and love for others. One day, the religious leaders of Jesus' time came up to him and they said, okay, we got all these commands in the Old Testament. We're having a hard time keeping up with all of them. So could you just narrow it down to one? If we only keep one, 
Which one is the most important to keep? And what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. What, what did Jesus say? What are the two most important commands of everything in the Christian life? If you better get something right, get this right. Love God and love other people. You know, we just finished in our, our uh, small group studies, church-wide, we did this study called uh, Not a Fan, being a fully committed, devoted follower of Christ and not a fan. I loved the last video because it brought it all together. It was all about love, serving God out of love, serving others out of love. And Paul is saying that I want you to have this yearning to understand the love of Christ, to, to have a yearning to not just know about this love, but to comprehend it. The word comprehend means here to grab it, to grasp it, to experience it in a personal, experiential way that you, 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 you feel it and you know that it's there and that you have a yearning for it. And when you begin to experience it, you yearn and you desire to have more of it. Shelly and I will um, celebrate our 21st wedding anniversary on December 26th, the day after Christmas this year. Yeah, yeah, thank, thank God for that. Thank you. Yes, give Shelly a hand. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, we got married on the day after Christmas. I have no excuses not to remember my anniversary date. December 26th, got it down. And you know, the day we got married, I knew that she loved me. And she knew I loved her. But 21 years later, we fully comprehend our love. We've experienced it. We've grasped it. And we have a yearning for it and for each other. There's, there's been investment and value. That's, that's what Paul is, is asking here for. He's praying that, that these people, these believers, and for all of us, that we, we would have this yearning of, of the love of Christ, this, this desire for it, this comprehension that it would fill our lives. The word yearning, when you have a yearning for something, there's an emotional attachment that comes with it. It's exciting. And in the Bible, throughout Scripture, when you see people that really have a yearning for the love of God and the relationship with Him, you see expression. You see in the Bible this expression of this love and this relationship. You see it through singing. You see it through clapping. You see it through dancing in the Bible. You see it through shouting. You see it through hands being raised. And I know when we talk about some of that, and Gary, our, our awesome worship director, he encourages you guys to clap and raise your hands and move a little. It's okay. That's natural. And some people get nervous with that. They think, well, that, that's a denominational thing. Listen, those expressions of worship are not a denominational thing. Those are a biblical thing. They're in the Bible. And they're also a natural response to people who are in love with God. And they experience that. And there's this excitement that comes out. And it's, 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 a, natural, it's a natural human response when there's something we really love and we really get excited about to clap, to raise our hands, to be excited. There's something that causes every one of you to do those things. You can't stop it. For a lot of you, it's the Broncos, okay? Except the other night. Gee, we won't go there. Sorry, I didn't mean to ruin your day. Or another sports team. For some of you, it's when you go shopping. 50% off, woo! There, there's something that brings out the natural God-given emotional response Maybe it's something, something good happens to your kids. Yay! It's natural. What, let's not suppress that. Let's not hold that back. Because when there's a yearning and a love, there's an excitement about our relationship with God. When it fills us, it has to come out. 
Let me show you what I'm talking about, a natural response. Uh, this is a group of people. It's hard to find anybody in this photo that don't have their hands up in, in jubilation and excitement because there was a yearning. This group of people had a yearning for something, they were, and they were emotionally connected. There was something they wanted. This is not a sporting event that you're watching here. Their team didn't just score a touchdown. Uh, th- this is not a worship service. What is it that these people are so excited? I mean, you don't see anybody in this picture going... You know, no, nobody's talking about what denomination they're part of. Well, what is this picture? This picture was taken several years ago in Sochi, Russia, in the city of Sochi, when they were awarded the 2014 Winter Olympics. This was their excitement. Shouldn't we be that excited and more for God and our relationship with him, amen? The love and what we're experiencing and what we're tapping into. And I, and I ask you, this is Paul's question, do you really know, do you really comprehend, do you really embrace and experience the love of christ if so there's a yearning to enjoy that and don't ever be ashamed of that so prayer is personal it's relational it's asking it's yearning and then e it's expecting when we pray we should expect that god is going to answer and we're going to be heard and he's going to do some things look at verse 28 one of our favorite verses about prayer now to him who is able he is able everybody say he is able What is he able to do? He is able not only to just answer our prayers, but he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think according to the power that works in us. Our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we even pray for and ask for and what we even think about. Some versions of the Bible say he's able to do far more. Aren't you thankful, church, we have a God who can do far more than we can even ask or imagine? And don't you love it when he does far more? I mean, it just blows us away. And we should be praying in that way, expecting that God's going to do far more than we would ask or think about when we pray. That ought to drive us to want to pray and talk to God. I mean, let me ask you, how's prayer going for you? How's prayer going for you? What are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Are you praying, expecting God to do exceedingly abundantly above what you'd even ask or think? Are you praying, expecting he'll do far more? You know, Orchard Church has been around now eight years, and I can honestly tell you God has done far more than we ever expected in eight years. Far more. I was talking to someone just the other day, and they said, is Orchard Church where you thought it would be in eight years? And I said, oh no, it's far more than what we ever imagined. We've seen far more many people accept Jesus Christ in eight years. We've seen far more people baptized. We just had a baptism, 12, 14 people uh, just a few weeks ago. We're having another baptism a day. I think there's 12, 14 people signed up again to, to do it. We may start having to do baptism every month. Oh, what a problem, amen? So many people are getting saved, so many people are getting baptized, far more than we've even prayed for. Far more lives changed, far more marriages restored, far more people uh, freed from addictions and hurts and habits and hang-ups who celebrate recovery and what Christ is doing in their life. You know, we, we have far more services today than I ever imagined. If somebody would have told me eight years ago that in eight years you're going to be doing, you're going to be preaching three times every Sunday, I might not have signed up. But praise God, he's done far more. It's a good problem to have. We've had far more people become part of this family and join our church. We just had a membership class last week, Discover Orchard. 48 adults in our membership class last week. 48 people. I mean, praise God, far more. There was something that uh, 
was pretty amazing that happened this week. I want to share with you guys real quick. We're, we're getting ready for our incredible Christmas Eve, three services on Christmas Eve, two, three, and four o'clock. And we were doing a video shoot. And this is a picture that Gary took, and he tweeted this out uh, of the video shoot. Uh, here in the Brighton area. Um, you say, well, no duh, it's a nativity scene, and we would expect that. No, you're going to see something happen in this nativity scene uh, you've never seen before on Christmas Eve, and you're going to have to come and see what that's all about. But we were looking for a place to, to do this video shoot, and so I said, well, let's just drive around Brighton, and there's some farm community, you know, houses, and, and, we, and we drove by this one house, and I saw this, this scene in their yard, and it actually wasn't in the yard, but it was kind of like in this stable type area. And I said, man, that would be perfect. So we, we pulled in there and we were asking God, you know, show us a place, help us find a place. And so we go up to the door, we knock on the door and this lady answers the door and she was really hesitant to open the door. She kind of cracked it at first and I'm standing there and Gary's standing there. I think she thought we were Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses or something. And I don't know. We didn't have our bikes with us, but anyway, and uh, sorry. And so... So we, we just started talking to her, and we, we told her we were with Orchard Church, and, and, and we're wanting to film a little scene we're going to use on Christmas Eve, and, and you've got a great scene out there that we could use, and, and she was like, oh, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll let you do that, and she opened up the door, seemed a little bit more comfortable, and, and she started to, to kind of shake, and she said, can I ask you guys, why did you choose my house? And we said, well, we just, we saw the scene, and we just, it, we just asked. And she started to cry. And we, we, we knew something, God was doing something. And she said, God sent you here today. God sent you to my house. And, w- and we said, why? And she said, um, just a few weeks ago, my teenage son, who's a freshman at Prairie View High School, was killed in a tragic hunting accident. Some of y'all heard, this, heard that story. And I said, oh. We heard about that. I said, my son is a senior at Prairie View. We prayed for your family. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I said, you know, can we pray with you? She said, yeah. And we went in and we spent about 15, 20 minutes. We prayed with her. We ministered to her and we encouraged her. You know, we thought that we were just going out to find a place to do a nativity scene. But God had far more intended for that day. When we pray, we need to pray expecting that God can do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think. Far more. And so finally, prayer is not only personal, relational, asking, yearning, and expecting, but prayer is about reflecting, reflecting the glory of God. We sang about that this morning, you know, come let us adore him, let us bring him glory, let us bring him glory, and that's Paul's desire too. He says, verse 21, to him be what? Glory. Everybody say glory. To him be glory in the church, that's us, through believers, by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and forever, amen. That we might bring glory to the Lord. That we might bring him glory. You know, I, I gotta stop right here. I just saw something really cool happen. This was completely unplanned. Carl and Annie Bropes back here have a sign language ministry here in our church for people that are, that are deaf so they can come and they can have the services interpreted. Isn't it a blessing that they do that each and every Sunday? Can we praise God for that? And Sarah's my buddy back there, right there, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. (laughs) And as I said glory and she interpreted that, show the sign language of glory. Do it again. Glory. Isn't that beautiful? That's what glory is. It's reflecting reflecting the glory of God. You know, when the sun comes out, it reflects. It reflects off a lake. It reflects off our windshield. It reflects off a mirror. We, as children of God, 
are to be reflectors of the sun. Not S-U-N, S-O-N, capital S-O-N. We're to reflect his glory in and through our life. And, our, and, and, and that affects our prayers. That when we pray, we pray that God would be glorified in and through our lives and through our church. The, the word glory is found 275 times in the Bible. It means splendor, beauty, magnificent, majesty, radiance. One of our early church fathers, St. Augustine, said it this way. Once the issue of glory is settled, all issues are settled. You see, and when we pray for God's glory to be revealed, it changes how we pray. Instead of praying for what we want and what we need, we pray that God would be glorified in and through our lives and our situations. I, I've been counseling marriages before, and I'll talk to the, the husband, and I'll say, what, what do you want? And he goes, well, I want out of this marriage. When I say to the wife, what do you want? Well, I want out. And then I'll ask this question, yeah, but what does God want? Oh, we didn't think about that. Maybe we should pray about what God wants, because that changes everything. It changes your marriage when you want your marriage to bring glory to God. It changes how you pray about your business because it's not about what do your customers want, what does the community want, what do you want, but what does God want? How can God be glorified through my business, through my marriage, through my family, through my friendships, through my health challenge? God, I want to make sure that through this you're glorified. Through your finances, as you get ready to plan your budget and your finances for 2014, would you ask God, God, not what is best for me and my family and my business, but what, is, what will bring you glory? What will bring you glory for your kids, for your decisions? You see, when you approach every situation and you ask, what, would, what will glorify God? And that's your question and that's your desire and what you pray for. You'll end up with a very different answer to most of the questions you ask. But it'll be the right answer. Because the right answer is what will reflect the glory of God. And so because, I want to close with this, because we are heard when we pray, and Paul is praying here for his church, the church he started in Ephesus. I want to I ask you guys to be in prayer for our church, for Orchard Church, your church family. And I want to I apologize to you guys. I don't think I've asked you to do this enough. I know many of you do, and thank you for that. We feel it. We, we, we know that the things that God has done here are not by accident or coincidence. It's because a lot of people are praying. But, but I, I just want to confess to you and be real and be honest. I don't think I've asked you guys enough to pray for our church and how to pray for our church. And that's challenged me this week. And so I want to give you three ways you can be praying for Orchard Church as we end 2013, as we get ready for 2014, because God is going to hear us, and he wants to do far more. Amen? So let's take advantage of this. The first way I want you to pray has to do with reach. The reach part of our process here at Orchard Church. Uh, we have got in three days an, an incredible opportunity to see every seat in this place filled with people that need Jesus Christ. Next Sunday is Christmas Sunday, December 22nd. I'm going to challenge you, don't come alone. Bring somebody with you. I'm doing a special Christmas message. We're going to take a break from Ephesians. We'll get back into that in the first of the year. But um, bring somebody that's unchurched, unsaved. It'll encourage them. It'll tell them what Christmas is all about. It's called the purpose of Christmas. And you don't want to miss it. You want to make sure your friends are here. It's an opportunity to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Christmas Eve, it's a time when people will, if they're only going to come to church once or twice a year, this is one of those times. Christmas Eve, 2, 3, 4 o'clock. 
We found those are the best times in the afternoon. Then people are done. They can do everything with their families. Um, we're going to have an incredible Christmas Eve service, uh, a very creative way to hear the Christmas story and invite people to accept the gift of Jesus Christ in their life. Invite people. Take those invite cards. I know a lot of you did last week. We have plenty of them. Take more of them this week. Um, post it on your Facebook. If, you're, you know, if you tweet on Twitter, it doesn't make you a twit. Uh, tweet those things out. Uh, let people know. Use those social medias in a positive way to tell people about our services. Um, you know, share the, our Facebook page. Go there. Share the stuff that we're putting on there. And let's see hundreds and hundreds of people come to Christ this Christmas season. Amen? Let, let's see God do far more than we can ask or think. Uh, the next way I'm going to ask you to pray for our church is in the area. I bet you can get this one. What do you think the next one is? Relate, yes, it's our process. Reach, relate. Relate is about connecting people in relationships. Um, our church since summer has been running 30% more people every Sunday than a year ago. 30%. And so we, and we've added another service. As we grow, we say this as a church leadership team all the time, the bigger we get, the smaller we need to get making sure we have plenty of small groups so people can relate and people can connect. We don't want people just to get lost in the crowd or be a number. We're getting ready now. We just finished up our fall semester of small groups. We're starting our spring semester in January. We'll be kicking that off. And we need more people willing to host a small group. And so I'm asking you today, if you've ever hosted or you'd be willing to host or you've got questions about that, you're not signing your life away today, but if you would like to know, take your connection card, give us your name, your best contact, a number or email. And on the box that says other, just put right in small group host that means you'd like somebody to contact you about being a small group host next semester so we can uh, get these people who are new in our church relating in groups of you know 10 12 14 people in homes that's the best way to get connected here at orchard church and i'll tell you this as we're growing uh, we have to add people to our leadership team um, as we're growing because we never want the church to outgrow our opportunity to minister to everybody and so we just recently hired uh, Don Fine as our new family pastor. Uh, we are talking to some other people, some part-time support roles, some full-time, because uh, we want to stay ahead of the growth. And so we, as a leadership team, we want to make sure the right people are on the bus, in the right seats on the bus, and we covet your prayers. Amen? Will you pray for us for that as we make those very important decisions that we can minister to everybody properly? And then guess what the last one is? Reproduce, yes. Uh, we are a church that wants to reproduce spiritually and corporately. Uh, pray for our discipleship ministry. We want to see more people uh, involved in our one-on-one -on -one discipleship ministry next year than we've ever had before. If you're interested in discipleship or being a discipler, you can let us know that as well on your connection card. But be praying for our discipleship ministry. Be praying for us as we want to start other churches. We've already started one church, uh, Orchard Church of Erie. They're going to celebrate their third anniversary this January. Uh, they are now uh, about to be completed independent we're ready to do it again uh, we're ready to, to get another church plant intern uh, into our church and then send them out to plant another church we've been praying this last year that God would give us the right person we're still praying for that person we don't know who they are be praying for that because we want to start uh, many more orchard churches that's where we got the name orchard we don't want to be a tree we want to be an orchard we want to be spiritually uh, reproductive fruit bearing amen so pray for that. Pray for our missionaries uh, that we support, the extended ministries of our church around the world. Uh, pray for the Rezgas, Paul Clark, the Obermans in Slovakia, Luke and Kelly Lyons in the Philippines. Uh, pray for Jonathan Simpson. Uh, it's not a church that's uh, down on this side. Um, it's not a church we planted, but it's a new church plant this last year called Ignite down in Highlands Ranch. And we have just uh, been supporting them a little bit every month as we want to help other churches get planted in our, in our community, in our city. Pray for our three feeding centers. Uh, we 
just had a team get back from Haiti. They had an awesome time. You do not want to miss next Sunday because we're, Lord willing, we're going to be showing the video of the kids opening your Christmas shoeboxes next Sunday. So pray for our three feeding centers that we fully support, Philippines, uh, Mexico, Haiti, and that the funds will come in as we continue to support those. And then uh, one more thing I'm going to ask you guys to pray about. Uh, People ask us all the time, are you guys ever going to get a place of your own? You guys going to build a building? And we've said from day one, and we'll continue to say, that's up to God. You know, if God wants us to have something different, uh, then God will lead us to that. We're not going to try to bust any doors down. Uh, but I don't know how many services we can keep adding and keeping up with. And so we've been praying and saying, okay, God, what, what do you want us to do uh, concerning maybe building something? But, but can we praise God for the place we have to meet? I mean, this is incredible, and we thank God for this. And so, um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, right next door, this is an aerial view of the high school. We are right here, right now in the auditorium. And do you all see this right here, right next door to the high school? Yeah, 38 acres sitting right next to the high school. Um, We keep thinking it's going to get purchased, and it doesn't. Um, We've talked to the landowner several times, and he's always wanted way too much money, but now he's starting to come to his senses a little bit, and he's starting to come down a little bit on the price. Uh, We have talked to him about uh, getting maybe 15, 20 acres right here, and if we could be right here, we could immediately build a ministry center and a children's center for all of our children's ministries, and we can continue to use the auditorium for our services. It could be an incredible opportunity if God is in it. We don't know, Um, but he's made it pretty clear this is 38 acres. He doesn't really want to break it up. He wants to sell all of it and not just part of it. And so um, we don't know. Um, we're, we're talking to him. We're in talks. And so we're just asking you guys to pray. I say this all the time. God opens doors. He closes doors. Amen? And sometimes we got to jiggle the handle. And we're jiggling the handle. And we'll see if it's open. And so we'll keep you posted, but be praying about that. Um, it's got to be a God-sized thing. Um, if any of you all want to, you know, uh, march around that land uh, seven times, you know, and, and throw, you know, whatever you want to do uh, to pray about that. Uh, if you know anybody that's got a couple million dollars they don't know what to do with, you know, please come see us. But uh, it's in God's hands. We're not going to make it happen. We're not going to force it to happen. In the meantime, we've got a great place to meet. But be praying about that as we go into 2014 and see what God will do. But let's pray bold prayers, amen, because we are heard. Let's, let's pray that God will do exceeding and abundant, far more than we could ask or think. As we close out 2013, as we see many people come to Christ through our Christmas services, and as we go into 2014. Would you pray with me? Believers right now, would you just ask the Lord to help you to pray like Paul? Help you to pray prayers that are personal, relational, asking, yearning, expecting, and reflecting God's glory. Just talk to him right now. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the first prayer that God wants you to pray is a prayer where you, by faith, invite Jesus into your life. If you've never prayed that prayer, would you, would you pray that prayer today? I want to lead you in a prayer of faith where you can right now invite Jesus into your life. It's the first prayer he'll answer and the first prayer he hears. Maybe God hasn't answered your prayers because you haven't asked the first prayer, the most important one, that's invite Jesus into your life. And I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray for your heart to God's right now where you can do that. And if you're ready to do that, here's, here's what you can pray, just like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, 
Nobody looking around. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, I want to pray for you. I want to pray you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Would you just slip up your hand as a testimony and just say, yes, I, I prayed that prayer of faith for the first time today. Thank you. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Young man, God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith. I invited Jesus into my life today for the first time, and I meant it. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Lord, we thank you and celebrate with the angels in heaven where a party has broken out over those who put their faith and trust in you today. We thank you, Lord, that when we call on you, we are heard. The Bible says whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you for those who put their faith and trust in you today. May we be reminded as your children that you are our heavenly father, you're our daddy, and that you want us just to talk to you, spend time with you, and, and just be real and honest with you. Then we, we may approach you in that way, God. And thank you that, Lord, when we pray and when we ask, that you do answer. And those times that you don't answer the way we want, I pray that we would be patient, that we would wait on you, that you have something better. And we would pray that everything would bring honor and glory to your name through our lives and through our church family. We thank you for all you've done and all you will do, far more and exceedingly abundantly about what we would ask or think. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate decisions for Christ this morning.